No, it's not going on the TV. Um, it might go in the podcast. Do you know what the podcast is? Yes. What's it called? Still kicking? <laughs> it's called Tear. Terrible, thanks for asking. There we go. Hi, everyone. It's Nora McNerney, and this is Terrible Thanks for Asking, COVID-19 edition, coming at you from my car. If you have been listening to the podcast, you know that we've been recording and interviewing from my noisy-ass house, uh, where I live with four children, a husband, and a shih tzu named Stacy. Right now, it's quiet because I'm in my car, in the garage, and I yelled at the kids not to stomp around in the house above me. But... On an average day in the time of corona, our house sounds like this. Cute, no. Just, will you guys? Okay, let's. I'm gonna snap soon. I've snapped many times, but like, again. Okay. Um, boys, could you leave the room and shut the door? You can come back in. Why don't you go find my coffee cup and bring me my coffee, okay? I have no idea where my coffee cup is. Truly, I never know where my coffee cup is, but I do know where my kids are. They're right here. They're always right here. And they're blessings. I mean, you know, what would I do without them? They're wonderful. They're wonderful. And also, please leave me alone. I know where my kids are. I know where you are. You're at home, unless you're an essential worker, in which case you're stocking our shelves, saving lives, dropping off tampons we forgot to buy before this nightmare started. Thank you. Thank you. But the rest of us, we're at home. This better be recording. Um, I'm Nora McNerney. Uh, I'm just wondering how it's, how's it going in there, everyone? How's it going in there, wherever you are? We are in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're in our house where we've been for a while. Um, we've left the house to take a couple walks every day, but today it is gray. It is rainy. March is the most... I think that it's in the kitchen or it's on my desk or it's in the bathroom. Um, we've gone on a couple of walks. We send the little kids out on um, like uh, trips like I just described to them, which is that right now they're on a hunt for my coffee cup. Who knows where I set it? So we are in the pink canopy bed of our favorite daughter, um, Sophia, who earlier today, um, you know, was just enjoying a nice little sob at the kitchen table. I have to say, it was a beautiful cry. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm very happy that you think that. You're a cute crier. Oh, thank you. Anyways, um, yeah, so you were crying. Why were you crying? Because this isolation is very hard. Especially for someone who is an extrovert and very social. What's hard about it? Not being able to be around the people that I really enjoy and, like, seeing my friends and being able to, like, touch them, which is, like, something that, like, you don't realize is really important until you can't mm. have that. Like, I don't get to, like, go to school and see my best friend and, like, just hang out and, like, have a good emotional talk. Not not crying, but just talk about the stuff mm-hmm. and like give each other a hug. Like very important, and you don't realize how like how important it is and how much you need it until you can't have it from them. Mm-hmm. 
I think when you describe not being able to go to school for a couple of weeks, thank you, baby. Um, I think most kids are like, yeah, that'll be freaking rad. But what's it like in real life? It's horrible. And as a person that actually does enjoy school, like when it's like most of the class and not every single class, but like I'm someone who does enjoy like getting to learn mm -hmm. and being able to like learn new things. It's hard not being able to be there. I just feel lazy. And I think that like people don't understand like when you're in school you're like oh this sucks I just want to get out but then you get out and you have nothing to do except for play video games or try to like occupy your own time where in school everything is calculated. As I record this we are going on I think a month of isolation and it has gotten Harder in some ways. Like, can you imagine being in eighth grade and being stuck with your family all the time? Well, imagine it, because that's its reality for teenagers now. And it's easier in others. Like, okay, am I really homeschooling my children? Absolutely not. Not in the least. I mean, we are doing distance, quote unquote, learning, but mostly they are, you know, their teacher, their best friend, their mentor is the internet, specifically Disney+. Plus. Uh, we are taking regular breaks to play Mario Kart. God bless the Nintendo Switch. We are eating ice cream every single night. We've done a couple puzzles. We've had several major breakdowns. We love each other, and we're also a normal family where our 13-year-old sometimes wants to, in her words, strangle her older brother. He just gets on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't do it to the little boys, but yeah, Ian, I can... You cannot attack your little brothers, but your older brother? Yeah, I, I can, mean... I can do that. Like, I wouldn't kill him. I wouldn't hurt him. But, like, <laughs> would I just slap him? Maybe. Yes. Do I, do I sometimes have the sudden urge to slap him? <sighs> yes. Yes, yes. But then yes. I'm like, oh, my God, I shouldn't do that. Yeah. It's like when you have, like, when someone's drinking water and all you want to do is just, like, hit the water bottle. <laughs> The entire premise of this show is based on emotional honesty, on daring to tell the truth about how it feels to live in a world where life is really hard. Kids are pretty good at telling the truth. I also, I interviewed my children because, look, I'm at home. They're accessible to me in this pandemic. I need something to fill the time. And if you're looking for a free idea on how to entertain your children, turn on your phone, use voice memos, and interview them. But be warned, if you interview one, you must interview them all. I'm seven years old. My favorite color is blue. My name is Ralph. How is, uh, how's it going in here? Mm, good. little frustrating because mom keeps working. Mm. And it takes a while. My big brother is just doing stuff so I can't play with him. <sighs> We had this conversation at night. Do you remember it? And you were really, really sad when I got out of the shower. And you said, I'm just not used to this. What are you not used to? Staying at home for a very long time because I want to go to school and see my friends and play outside. Mm -hmm. But I have to stay inside while I'm here. Do you know why we're staying inside? Because of the coronavirus and to protect other people from getting sick. Yeah. 
Yeah, I felt bad the other night because you were very, very sad, and you said you were having a hard time controlling your emotions. Would you believe me if I told you a lot of grown-ups have trouble with that, too? Yeah. What do you think grown-ups are worried about? Them getting sick and their children getting sick. Are you worried about anything? Yeah, I don't really know either. Worried about everything, worried about nothing. So we'll be right back. We get support from Sakara. We are at home. We're all trying to stay healthy. We're all trying to stay focused. We're all trying to stay energized. And that's where Sakara comes in with fresh, delicious meals delivered straight to your door. Sakara is a nutrition company that believes wellness begins with what you eat. And their nutrition program brings the transformational power of plant nutrition to your home. We're talking fresh, plant-rich, ready-to-eat meals with powerful superfoods and organic ingredients designed to help you boost your immunity, improve your energy, and get glowing skin. And guess what? All of Sakara's meals are 100% plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. Right now, Sakara is offering you 20% off your first order if you go to sakara.com slash thanks and enter code thanks at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash thanks to get 20% off your order. We're back, and I am done talking to my kids for this episode and also in general. (laughs) I just need to be alone. I'm sitting in a car just trying to be alone. Right now, life is hard for all of us. A bad thing is happening to all of us. And yeah, it is harder for some than others. And yeah, we're all in this together theoretically, but in practice, some people are taking on a lot more of the burden. Some people are going to be much, much more affected than other people. Some of us are experiencing tragedy, and some of us, like me, are experiencing a light to mid inconvenience. All of us are stuck in this strange in-between where the lives we had are no longer the lives we're living, where the things we counted on are no longer countonable. This episode, you'll hear from fellow TTFA listeners around the world who are all going through it right along with you. We put all the questions we asked them in the show notes so you can do this exercise on your own, too, because sometimes the person that we need to give a straight answer to is us. A lot of us watching the news back in February and March, we saw what was happening in Italy, but we didn't really understand that we were staring at a crystal ball. And if you're like, I did, you dummy, good for you. But a lot of us were watching the news, oblivious that we were watching footage from our own terrible future. We got this message from Italy, from Nicole in Bergamo, Italy. Bergamo, Bergamo, who knows? One of the hardest hit cities. 
We've had a death in the family, and the funeral was really different from what we're not used to uh, because there are so many folks who have died. The funerals are quick and no nonsense, one right after another, about 15 minutes in length. Uh, nobody touches anybody, everybody is six feet away from each other. And it's just boom, 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 one after the other. There's a limit as well as to how many people can attend the funeral, and it's four. So, yeah, not everybody gets to grieve in the way that they want to. Soon, this wasn't just happening in Italy, and it wasn't just on the news, and it wasn't just news stories. It was a part of our daily lives, interrupting and complicating how we live, how we interact, how we die, and how we grieve. And we have never been great at grief here in America. We typically give people maybe three to five business days of bereavement leave. Go ahead and check your policy right now. But you can usually count on having a funeral on gathering all your loved ones close, real close, maybe too close, honestly, to say goodbye to the person who died. Just like you could count on having a goodbye and being able to hold your person's hand while they cross to the other side. Last week, my mom passed away and she had been in hospice. We were not allowed to visit her in hospice. So we had to stand at the window and talk to her on the phone. That was the only way to do it. And she just looked so small in her bed, and I wish I'd been able to go in and just give her a hug, but I couldn't because of this pandemic. Um, On Friday morning at 5 a.m., we got a call that she was unresponsive, and uh, we were rushing to hospice, hoping to be able to at least go and say goodbye. But um, by the time... We got there, we had already gotten a call saying that she was gone. Then uh, we had to plan a funeral, and we planned the funeral, but we were only allowed to have uh, six family members in the church. And unfortunately, the national cemeteries are closed to all visitors, so we weren't even allowed to have a graveside service. It was very, very hard to say goodbye And we just had to kind of leave the church and the pallbearers placed her coffin in the hearse and that was kind of it. So that's what's going on here. It's been hard. One of the illuminating parts of isolation is a new appreciation for gatherings you take for granted. When someone dies, you have a funeral. And when someone is born, you celebrate before that baby is even here. Or uh, we used to celebrate. I'm about six and a half months pregnant with our first, and it's become very isolating. We had to cancel the baby shower. There are no more maternity classes or support groups. And I have to go to all the prenatal appointments alone. And especially with the sonograms, it's really hard. Um, 
My husband and I got legally married earlier than we planned because we wanted to start having children a bit earlier so that my grandparents would be here to meet them. Um, my grandmother and my grandfather aren't in the best health, and so we thought that this would be a way to make sure that they can meet their great-grandchildren. And um, on Sunday, my grandfather suddenly passed away. Um, because of the pandemic, we couldn't take a red eye to the West Coast to be with them. Um, we couldn't go visit family and friends now for comfort. We can't hold a funeral and don't know when we will. Um, so to go through pregnancy and grief at the same time is already strange and painful. And I feel like I don't really know how to do it alone, especially. So it's it's tough because... The isolation in New York is almost kind of like an old-fashioned prescribed period of bereavement, you know, um, but it's indefinite. <laughs> uh, in the time, I've kind of noticed a sort of protective quality to the solitude, kind of like a blanket in its aloneness, and in some ways it feels healing. But I always kind of thought of both pregnancy and grief as communal experiences, that you leaned on the people who shared that same joy in one case or the same sorrow in another. And I don't feel like I can really do either except for over the phone. And <laughs> and also time has a weird quality in isolation right now. You know, it, it doesn't seem to have much meaning. Um, and it goes forward, but you don't really feel it. You forget what day it is really easily. And I feel like I don't want to take off the shirt that I've been wearing for the last three days, this thin blue cotton t-shirt um, that I put on Sunday morning while my grandfather was still alive. And now I'm afraid to take it off because it feels like a tear in the continuity of when he was here to now when he isn't, especially in the isolation. I've been thinking a lot about how you have this urge to linger with grief, but also the necessity of inching forward. Um, so I figure probably later today I'll, I'll take off this shirt, maybe in the afternoon around two or two thirty because then that will be three days since he died and and I guess the rest is waiting for a little while, you know, sitting with the feelings, sitting for the next, you know, three months of my pregnancy is the baby, she's a girl, um, you know, kicks and reminds me that she's still here. And uh sitting with the rest of the country as we kind of wait this all out. We're waiting it out, waiting to cross some kind of finish line that separates this reality from a future where we can hang out and hug and go sit in our cubicles and complain about the guy who cuts his nails at his desk, which has never happened in my time at APM, but happened at every other place I ever worked. Why do we do that? When we come back from this pandemic, let us all bring our best selves to work and let us all leave our nail clippers at home. But... While we're waiting, we're also struggling to figure out how we live and exist in this version of reality. I'm unable to go visit Chad in the memory care facility. Um, we actually have not been able to visit for about three weeks. Um, the county that I live in, or the Dallas-Fort Worth area, has only been on lockdown for about a week. Um, but... The community locked us out about three weeks ago, um, and I still remember uh, the phone call where the nurse called me to tell me that they weren't going to allow us to come in, and um, I completely understand 
the reasons why. And um, my reaction, um, bless his heart, was um, so strong. And uh, I was just so sad. Because I felt like time had been taken from us. We already lost so much of our future together because of dementia. And it just feels so unfair that at 42 years old, he was diagnosed with dementia. But then, during that same time, a pandemic hits the world. And so the precious moments that I have left with him are even stolen. For some of us, this virus was a full interruption to a nicely lived life. The virus was the bump in the road. And for some of us, this virus is an extra scoop of stress on top of a Sunday of anxieties and stuff that has gone wrong. It's extra guac on a plate of disaster nachos. All my examples are about junk food. But uh, it's, it's really an extra F in a series of WTFs. I have not worked now in about six months because I'm also a full-time caregiver to my husband. I was diagnosed with glioblastoma which is, like Nora would put it, just a fancy word for stage 4 brain cancer. We have had many ups and downs with this diagnosis, but COVID-19 is definitely bringing everything to a new low. Having our kids at home all the time is making it very hard to have some alone time that I need so much to stay sane. When the kids aren't pulling me on one side, my husband is pulling me on the other. I stay up at night thinking, this is what's going to kill him, not the nasty cancer he's been battling for the last 15 months. I stay up at night wondering what happens if I get sick. Who's going to take care of the kids? What happens if he gets sick? Will he get his treatments in two weeks? Is he still a priority? If he doesn't get his treatments, then the cancer will kill him. What if he gets a seizure? What if I need to call an ambulance? I'm scared for my husband's doctors that I've come to know so well. What if they get sick? And my ultimate worry is, what if one of the kids gets sick? One of the things I thought when Quebec started to slowly ask its residents to stay home and had daily press conferences was that everyone was kind of getting a taste of life with cancer or another deadly diagnostic. You have to be careful when you go out. You don't have answers about everything. You live with anxiety and stress like you've never felt before. The future's uncertain. My days are filled with worry while trying to raise good and balanced children amid the chaos.
it's all these things, not just worry about health and staying alive, not just worrying about funerals and diagnoses and ventilators. It's worrying about holding together your jobs and your home and your families and all of the many, many things that make a life together work. I was supposed to, after a year and a half of being unemployed, I was supposed to be uh, training for a new job today. And that is not happening now because of all the shutdowns. For the past uh, about 14 months, I have been sponsoring a family that came with the caravan seeking asylum from Honduras. And so we all lived together and we formed our own little family. But uh, they don't qualify for any help or assistance. And so we've been trying to live off of what I had in retirement and uh, we're really stretched and I really could have used to start this new job. It's just really hard to keep stretching and trying and it's really scary because there's four people in my house and none of us have any health insurance. And that's a really scary thing going into a pandemic. So there's that level of terror of not knowing who will survive or what you'll do, of not having health care in a country where, honestly, do I need to go on another health care rant? And then there's this other side of the spectrum where things aren't totally falling apart, but they're also not great. I work in a non-essential field in a job that can be accomplished from home. So I've continued to work throughout this pandemic, and it feels really weird. Everything I do feels trivial. I'm so riddled with anxiety all of the time, and in the middle of it, I'm expected to stay productive and to continue doing my job, and it's just very strange. I realize there's quite a bit of privilege to even having a job right now, but it does just feel so exhausting to have to act like everything's fine and normal when it's not. I have a tip for this, actually. Don't pretend it's normal. Don't do it. Resist the urge to try to dress up this pandemic like a staycation. Acknowledge how weird and awful it is. Say out loud to yourself and your children, I hate this. This is the worst. And then keep going because it's not normal and it's not okay, but it's happening. Before all this started, I actually uh, struggled with some health anxiety and um, some obsessive-compulsive tendencies. Uh, A lot of it is related around germs and uh, illnesses. I couldn't take my children to the doctor sometimes. I mean, I did, but... I would have panic attacks because I was afraid of all the germs and realizing that there's a lot of irrational thoughts around that. It was still very difficult to make those things happen. Uh, I struggled to go into hospitals before all this. Um, 
just a lot of irrational and overwhelming fears. And so now that all of this has come about, it's been very difficult for me to calm myself down at times um, because I kind of feel like my fears and my what was irrational seems irrational and realistic right now. So um, it's been very difficult as a mental health therapist with this whole thing to try to be that rock for everyone right now while they are kind of falling apart. We've seen a huge incline and increase in people needing therapy and almost all therapists have gone online now. So it's been even harder to not have that connection in a room with someone. So I think I've realized just how important it is for me to have community and to be able to talk to people about what I'm struggling with and not be embarrassed about that. I think during this time, we really need to be brave and speak up uh, when we're feeling lonely and feeling scared and isolated. We need to be able to be there for each other and ask for help. Some of us are experiencing these new levels of fear and terror and anxiety, and some of us feel like we're revisiting these places again. It's different, but it reminds us of something we've done before, something we've felt before, and something we don't want to do again. Now what keeps me up at night are worries about contracting the virus because I'm an asthmatic. And I have had some really bad asthma attacks in the last three years since my wife died. In 2017, my wife died of complications from a stroke brought on by a brain tumor. And I was there and I held her in my arms as she died. And that capped off six months of being a caregiver spouse. Now I'm I'm doing that again for my girlfriend whose life over the last three or four months has just completely imploded. She's lost her home due to flooding. Her job is up in the air because she works with kids with special needs for the school district around here, but now she has to work from home. And almost on a daily basis, the districts can't decide whether or not they're gonna have everybody online as available resources or put them on furlough. And I'm watching her whole life implode. One of the things I'm learning is that I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing I am a great caregiver, but I really don't want anyone to caregive for me because I know exactly how hard it is to be a caregiver. I know how much effort and work it takes. And having gone through it several times now, I just find within myself this, this scream of no, I will not trap or bind somebody into caring for me when I get older. I, I've done this so many times now, I know what's involved. I don't want anyone I love to have to care for me. The bonds of love when it comes to caregiving are a wondrous and also terrible thing. And I am reaching this point where my soul just recoils from the thought of imagining somebody else having to care for me in the way that I've cared for others because I know what it takes. And I, I would spare anyone that burden.
want to repeat something that we just heard there, that the bonds of love are a wondrous and terrible thing. Ain't that the truth? The bonds of our love are being tested in so many ways. We're tired and we're exhausted and we are doing love. We are staying away from each other physically and showing up however we can from a distance. We are in this house and in so many others, numb and anxious and tired. And that's just since I started recording this narration. None of us have done this before. None of us know how to be or what to do. So make sure you're honest about how it's going in there and know that like everything else, your feelings are subject to change without notice. I wouldn't go so far as depressed yet, but numb. Hmm. I think depressed is a very strong word to use. And I, like, like, I'm in the mood to just eat a bunch of chocolate chip cookies and ice cream and marshmallows, but I know, like, it's not good for your health. So, um, I'm surviving a day at a time in this strange reality where it feels like time is standing still, um, and I am having faith that it will not always feel like this. And gratitude for the things and the people that are still here. Uh, here in New Zealand, there's a saying, which is kia kaha. It's Māori for stay strong. And I really hope that you can take that message on board from us and that you're going to be okay. So how's it going in here? Resigned. Worried but also looking forward, cautiously courageous. How's it going in there? Well, trying to hold on, trying to survive, like a lot of people are doing these days. The world is changing. You just don't know how or when. I just hope I'll be able to get back up again when it does. Stay safe, everyone. And also, don't forget to check on your friends. Friends you've not seen in a while. Friends you've not heard from. Friends who left your podcast to go work on the daily, maybe. Hi, this is Hans. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. That's not true. I am the former senior producer of Terrible Things for Asking and current fan and excited participant. I mean, excited might be a bit of a stretch in this moment. Um, I mean, how excited are any of us? So I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to learn the piano. I've tried many times in past, but it's going to stick this time trying to spend a lot of time snuggling my dog trying to spend a lot of time appreciating small things watching things that allow me to laugh and allowing myself to feel that laughter I'm trying to send messages to my family and friends who are working in 
care situations or testing situations and about whom I'm genuinely concerned. And I'm trying not to predict anything. I'm trying not to assume what I'm going to be like or what the world's going to be like or what we're going to think or feel or need, even though it's kind of my job to do that. I'm trying not to be too predictive and let things just be what they're going to be when they're going to be it. But, you know, that's hard. All right. I love you all. You all are amazing. Keep up the amazing work. Be strong. Be safe. Talk soon. This has been terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm Nora McInerney. Our producer is Marcel Malikibu. Production help from Tracy Mumford, the light of our lives. Additional help from Jacob Maldonado Medina and Hannah Meacock Ross. Our digital producer is Jordan Turgeon. Thanks to Dan, Hans, Sophie, Ralph, Sue, Tori, and Jocelyn. This episode was mixed by Eric Romani. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. And we are a production of American Public Media. Over and out. Bye.